Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 is what we're going to be looking at today. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1009, Hebrews 13, 4. Now, <clears throat> we're just picking a, one verse out of this final chapter of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a bit like a sermon. Um, it's a word of exhortation, as you see there. I think it's in verse 22 where he, the, the writer himself refers to his uh, epistle as a word of exhortation. Um, he's trying to instruct them, and, and it's a group of people that are in spiritual decline. They're, they're uh, tempted to give up on the faith. And their Christianity is not valued by them. And the last time we looked at verses 1 through 3, and we see there uh, that one of the marks of spiritual decline is love for others grows cold. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. And today we're going to see that the writer is addressing, as he addresses various issues here in chapter 13, issues that crop up when the church and individuals go into spiritual decline or, if you will, backsliding, the things that aren't uh, looked at properly, the things that fall into decline along with uh, the spiritual state of, of, of believers who are backsliding. Lack of love, we said, but here in verse 4, we, we see marriage and, and matters pertaining to marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That is God's word to us, and let us reflect upon it and bring honor to the Lord in the way that we think of marriage. Well, I want to look at uh, three things today, and these three things are going to just be the three phrases that are in this verse. First, let, the marriage, let marriage be held in honor among all. Second, let the marriage bed be undefiled. And then thirdly, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So we're going to look at these in turn. Frank Sinatra uh, was somewhat right when he sang this song. Love and marriage, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Uh, this I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. And more importantly, the second verse, love and marriage, love and marriage, it's an institute you can't disparage. Ask the local gentry and they will say it's elementary. Well, you can disparage marriage and uh, that's why the writer of Hebrews is writing this verse, because there's a, a dishonoring of marriage going on in the culture and perhaps even in the church there amongst the Hebrews. You can disparage marriage, and it's being disparaged today in our culture. And he is correct in his last uh, phrase, it's elementary. Uh, marriage in the family is the basic building block of society, and when that building block is destroyed, then society is destroyed. But let's look at this first thing. He says here, let marriage be held in honor among all. When God created the world, before mankind ever fell, he gave uh, what is called the creation ordinances. There are four creation ordinances. Now, creation ordinances are mandates or commands or principles 
that God gave to humans uh, before the fall. And they are designed to promote God's glory and to practically express what it means to be made in the image of God. And the four ordinances are labor, and we are to work. God gave Adam uh, a job to do there in the Garden of Eden, to tend the garden. Uh, so there's, there's labor, there's the Sabbath, six days you do your work that he's commanded you to do, but on the seventh you rest, and that's the second ordinance. And then the other two are marriage and procreation. Genesis 2.24, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And God also told them to be fruitful and to multiply. So those last two are what we're dealing with today, especially the, second, the third one, marriage. Marriage is God's creation. He created it before the fall. That's one of the first things he did when he created man and woman. He created marriage. It's not the creation of the government or any other institution or any other person. God created marriage, and he defines marriage. Any so-called marriage between anything other than one man and one woman is not legitimate in God's eyes. Now you might say, well, polygamy was in the Bible, and that's true. Uh, we, we see many examples of polygamy in the Bible where uh, mainly one man is married to numerous women, but it's never painted in a positive light. Uh, if you look at all the, the people who engaged in polygamy, it really caused a lot of problems in their families. Look at Abraham and, and all the problems that he had. You look at Solomon, his great downfall was because he uh, had so many wives and many who were foreign and worshipped other gods. That's just a couple of them, but it's never painted in a positive light, and that wasn't God's intention from the beginning. When Jesus was questioned about marriage by the Pharisees, he said, uh, or they, they asked him, is it lawful to, to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate." They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? It was in the Mosaic law. Divorce was there. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. I know we have a number of single people here in the congregation. I read that last part for your benefit. Marriage is a, certainly an institution that we need to hold in honor, but it's not for everyone. There are people who are called to be single, and that's God's will for some people. But marriage, since the very beginning, it has been the building block of civilization. The happiness of mankind depends upon 
the institution of marriage. And when marriage breaks down, civilization itself breaks down. I mean, look around us. We wonder why our nation is in the state it is in. It's no longer civilized. Well, look no further than the state of marriage in the United States. The family has broken down and chaos ensues. I was looking at a report on the uh, Centers for Disease Control. I know their reputation has been sullied here lately, but uh, this is a, a, good, uh, a good study about marriage. And it says, studies have shown that adults in the United States are increasingly postponing marriage and that a record number of current youth and young adults are projected to forego marriage altogether. Marriage has been shown to be correlated with positive health outcomes and longevity. And a recent report showed that age-adjusted death rates for both males and females are lowest for those who were married at the time of death. So marriage has a benefit, but more and more people are not getting married. The marriage rate in the United States is at an all-time low. Divorce rates are decreasing as well, but the only reason that is is because nobody's getting married. So we are in a terrible state, and we can trace it back throughout our history. Well, you can trace it back even further than the history of the United States, but a real turning point came in 1969 when Governor Ronald Reagan of California made what he later admitted was one of the greatest mistakes of his political life when he signed the nation's first no-fault divorce bill. Now, most of the other states followed California's lead over the next 15 years, but that made it possible for people to just say, we don't want to be married anymore without having a real good reason. And see, the, the erosion of the institution of marriage was coming about, and we're reaping the consequences of it today. Broken homes are... Uh, a terrible reality. I'm just going to read you some statistics. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home. 85%. Seven out of every ten youth that are housed in state-operated correctional facilities, including detention and residential treatment, come from a fatherless home. 39% of students in the United States from the first grade to their senior year of high school do not have a father at home. Children without a father are four times more likely to be living in poverty than children with a father. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out from school before graduating than children who have a father in their lives. 24.7 million children in the United States live in a home where their biological father is not present. That's one in every three children in the United States. Girls who live in a fatherless home have a 100% higher risk of suffering from obesity than girls who have their father present. Teen girls from fatherless homes are also four times more likely to become mothers before the age of 20. Children who live in a single-parent home are more than two times more likely to commit suicide than children in a two-parent home. 75% of rapists are motivated by displaced anger that is associated with feelings of abandonment that involves their father. Living in a fatherless home is a contributing factor to substance abuse, with children from such homes accounting for 75% of adolescent patients being treated in substance abuse centers. 85% of all children 
which exhibit some type of a behavioral disorder come from a fatherless home. 90% of the youth in the United States who decide to run away from home or become homeless for any reason originally come from a fatherless home. And that's just a few of the statistics that I've found online. They're readily available. When the family breaks down, society breaks down. And when the family breaks down, there's not a model. The people, the children don't have a model for how to have a successful marriage. And so they carry that to the next generation. And it just is a downward spiral. And we see that in our society. Indeed, the breaking down of marriage is indicative of the breaking down of society itself. And that's why the writer here says, let marriage be held in honor among all. That word honor means let it be precious and valuable, something that we think of as of great worth. And among all, not just those who are married, but everyone, whether you're married or single, it's in everyone's best interest that marriages are successful and that families stay together. So you see there how important marriage is in our world today. God created it. It's his institution and his plan for the world. And that's how, the, how our cultures, our societies, our civilizations are maintained. It's very, very important. Now, the second thing he says there, if marriage is uh, such an honorable institution, then let the marriage bed be undefiled. That word undefiled means pure or unstained now, how can it be defiled? And he mentions two things here in the, in, the, in the last phrase, but he mentions adultery, and that's, of course, when a spouse is unfaithful to their spouse by having sexual relations outside of marriage. It's a very specific term. But the second term, or the, really the first one that he mentions, sexual immorality, is the word porneia, which we get the word pornography from. Uh, it is a, a very broad term, and that's why it's just generally... Uh, translated as sexual immorality. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says, the New Testament is characterized by an unconditional repudiation of all extramarital and unnatural intercourse. So the term covers a lot of, of territory. Now this is not just a word to the married. Single people are included here. Young people, I think, especially need to hear this word. Holding marriage in honor means that you hold your own potential marriage in honor. You think of your own marriage as something that's valuable and precious. If you're a single person, you need to consider that. And that you hold another person's marriage as something valuable and precious. You know, as much as television would like and the movies and media would like for us to think casual sex is no big deal, well, there's no such thing as casual sex. All sex has great importance and significance in people's life. And when you have sex before marriage, you're taking something that does not belong to you. That person that you're with is someone else's future wife or husband. You are someone else's future wife or husband. And when you do that, you're taking something that's not yours. And you're going to have to carry that with you into your own marriage. And they're going to have to do the same. Jesus said, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus further defines adultery. He talks about spiritual adultery here with uh, with lust being uh, included in the term adultery. And that brings us to pornography and how destructive pornography is to our society and to marriages and to your future marriage. Pornography is bringing someone else into your marriage or your potential marriage and is equivalent with adultery, according to Jesus. And it's a real problem in our culture today, of course, with the advent of the Internet and the ability to be at home and think no one knows what you're doing. But it's very dangerous, as we're finding out. Pornography affects the brain. Studies have been done that show that Pornography can take our brain's natural stimuli, our desire for intimacy and connection, our longing to feel strong or desirable in our relationships, our interest in a particular feature or activity, and give us more quantity, more exaggerated, and more supernormal versions of that thing. It gets weirder and weirder as you go, and it gives you a thrill, and that makes the normal intimacy not as exciting. Dr. Simon Kuhn and Jürgen Galanat said that pornography affects the brain through an intense stimulation of our reward system, ultimately making pornography consumption more rewarding than normal relations. Like it or not, porn consumption entails pleasure, focus, and repetition, and the Perfect recipe for a buildup of delta Fos B, which is uh, an enzyme, or we have to ask one of the doctors more about that. And the creation of long-lasting pathways in the brain, it can also provide an overabundance of supernormal stimulus that can completely rewire what we find arousing and what we desire and expect from sexual intimacy. These changes in our expectations can have tremendous implications for how we view others and how we view relationships, and it could certainly ruin your marriage or your potential marriage. It's such a problem that the PCA in 1992 wrote a position paper on divorce, remarriage, and uh, related, related uh, issues. And it, and it has a section on uh, acts of sexual immorality that do not clearly break the one flesh relationship between a man and a woman. You know, you should be one flesh and no one else should be entered into that. Well, the committee argued that pornography per se is not a grounds for divorce, but if a person becomes so obsessed with pornography that it becomes a substitute for for fulfilling the conjugal rights of the spouse then that could be understood to break the one flesh union. So see, pornography could even lead and be considered adultery. It's destructive to the relationship, and it's destructive to your brain. 
It's destructive to your future relationships when you do get married, if you're unmarried now. So you see how important marriage is in our culture and how destructive sexual sin is in our culture. And that's why when we see how precious marriage is to the world and how destructive sexual sins are to the world, we see that God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There's a number of passages in the New Testament that state this, Ephesians 5, 5 through 6. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let, one, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In the television and the, the movie theater and, the, and all the current attitudes towards these matters are deceiving us with empty words. God takes these things seriously. Galatians 5, 19, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's some very stern warnings that we have here in the, the New Testament, but there's some good news. I know that many of you have been affected by divorce, by sexual sins. You've been not only guilty yourself, perhaps some of you have even been the victims of such. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 gives us some good news. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the good news. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Maybe your past has been checkered by sin, in, these, in respect to marriage and, and sexuality. But like the Corinthians experienced, and Corinth was a, was a very wicked place. It was a port city and a lot of things going on there with the sailors coming in and out of port. And they, the sins listed here are some of the worst. But such were some of you, Paul says. They were changed. The Lord Jesus washes and sanctifies, that makes holy and justifies, makes you right with God. The Lord can do that. Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God can fill your heart with His Holy Spirit and renew you and change you and give you a fresh new start. And that's just not in the areas of, of, of marriage, Divorce, sexual sins, it's in any area. The Lord can forgive. The Lord can change. So come to the Lord. Come to Jesus. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all need God's grace and mercy. You're all included 
And God says, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for this message of mercy that we hear. Uh, Lord, we know our, our culture is saturated with sexual sin. We see the breakdown of the family and marriages. And, and Lord, many of us are guilty of those things. We pray your forgiveness and your mercy. We pray that you would renew us and save us. Lord, help us to hold marriage in honor, to fight for our own marriages, to, to promote marriage in our culture, to give good examples to the next generation. Help us to flee youthful lusts and adultery and sexual immorality and help us to walk in purity so that we might be great ambassadors for you in this lost and dying world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.